Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. A couple of weeks ago, my family and I went on vacation, and we went back home to see uh, our family in Illinois, and it was a great trip. We, uh, we actually went through eight states in just over a week. Um, it was kind of like the Griswolds family vacation without Aunt Edna and Wally World. Um, but, uh, but we had like Memphis brisket, which that made all the difference in the world. Um, we actually took the roundabout way of going to Illinois and took the scenic route, um, hitting as many states as we possibly could, and then to find our landing place um, in literally in Memphis to have brisket. That was the only reason we went to Memphis is brisket. But if you've had Memphis brisket, you know it's worth the trip, all right? So it was an amazing trip for us, and going back to see family and, and enjoying that, um, and just that time together. And after we left Illinois and we said goodbye to family, we, we decided that that's, we were going to add the, the Memphis leg into the trip along the way we went to St. Louis. And anyone else ever been to St. Louis? Anyone? A few people. St. Louis is a cool place. Um, that may, maybe if you're a truck driver, that may be a benefit to you, being able to see a bunch of cool places um, like St. Louis. And we went to St. Louis literally for the only reason we went there is to see the arch. Um, I just want to show you uh, just a little image actually from the arch looking down. The, it, the arch is right on the banks of the Mississippi. If you look one way of the arch, it's Illinois. And then if you look the other way, um, if we could advance that slide, there you go. Um, that's the best view from the arch. Um, if you're a baseball player and you want to win, that's where you go. Um, right there, the St. Louis Cardinals play there. It was an amazing time, and I, I've gone to the arch many, many times, um, but some parts of my family had not. And it was incredible as we just kind of hear about the arch, and we go up there and see it. And, and, and I was really, this time, I was really drawn into the construction of the arch. And the arch itself, in St. Louis, it stands over 600 feet. It's actually the largest national monument, um, and it's really spectacular. But it was designed in such a way that it would be able to, to last and to be able to stand the test of time, but then also to be able to stand the test of the, of the outside forces. As a matter of fact, it was built to be able to sustain, um, the sustain winds of 150 miles an hour. And then also, it was built to sustain the weight uh, and the, the test of the inside forces, just the weight of itself. It's constructed, uh, at the, the outside shell is stainless steel, which means nothing to you, probably. Um, but it's really cool if you've seen it and you kind of see it shine. And then on the inside, it's actually made of carbon steel. And the strength literally comes, part of the, the strength, the main core of the strength, is with the skin of it. And everything, um, all the construction of the arch is, is a bunch of triangles. And as you've seen it, or if you've seen it, and, and you kind of look at the construction, it's just, it's made and it's designed very, very well. But it was designed with the idea that it would be able to stand the test of time, to stand the test of the inside forces, and to stand the, the test of the outside forces. Is your family built the same way? Is, would you, like right now, if you are to be honest with me, would you sit back and say, yeah, you know what, my family, my, maybe my marriage, but certainly, um, but your family, is it? Is it, is it built in such a way 
to where it's going to stand the test of time. Maybe your family is kind of like mine where it's not perfect. Um, by the way, that's all of us because no family's perfect. Maybe your family is like mine where there's been divorce after divorce after divorce. And, and you sit back and you say, wow, I'm like, something was wrong when they put this thing together, right? Like when the, when the marriages were put together, like something was obviously wrong and that it was not built with the idea of being able to stand the test of time, the, the test of the inside or outside forces upon it. And you know that every family, if it's not built with those three mindsets, can self-destruct. Maybe your family already has. Maybe there's people in your family you don't even talk to anymore, or they don't talk to you anymore, and when this message is kind of washed over you, you're going to sit back and say, wow, our family failed at that, or wow, there was, some, there was something wrong here. Or maybe you'll sit back with a positive thing and say, you know what, we're kind of doing some things right. But every family, if it's not built with the mindset to be able to stand the test of time, is it going to last? Are your kids going to talk to you after they become adults and after they get married? Are you going to be able to have any sort of connection with your grandkids? I believe if we were to jump back into the Word of God and we find we really find some, some truths that are hidden in it, that we would be able to sit back and have a, a family that, that lasts and that's quality and that's God-honoring. But you know what else also I've found? Families, they, they not only have to, to be able to, to last the test of time, but they also have to, they have to go through the test of outside forces, people speaking into it. The outside things, the outside, the, the work environment, the tension that comes with work, the tension that comes with extended family. Nobody has that issue, right? All these outside forces. What we're going to see today is maybe there's some things that we can do in our family, in the context of family, that will help us to be able to stand even with the test of, of, of time and then outside forces. And you know what? And shamefully, shamefully, sometimes families are like piranhas. If I'm honest, and if you're honest, you'll agree. Sometimes families are like piranhas. They eat themselves. They chew on each other. They don't want to have to do with each other. They fight. They bicker. They argue. Every holiday is a struggle. Can anyone give witness to that? Don't raise your hand if they're sitting next to you. You know? But if we're honest, that's, that's the truth, is it not? So my hope for this, this series of family dynamics is that we would be able to, to jump into the Word of God to say, how can we design or maybe redesign our family to where it will stand the test of time, the test of outside forces, and the test of inside forces? And at the core of it, and today this is the question that I, I hope to have answered that you would have an answer to, how can I build emotional and spiritual security within my family? How can I do that? How can I do that? Because if we build this, this, this integrity in our family, this security in our family, this emotional strength in our family, that we will be able to stand the test that I just mentioned. But if we're not intentional, you're going to be subject to fail. 
Our scripture this morning is in Genesis, in chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 15. Piggybacking on what we talked about last week, we said that Adam and Eve were, that was the first family. That this is, up to this point, they haven't had any children, and yet, if you have a married couple, you have a family. You don't have to have children to have a family. And, and just, just in case that you're, you're wanting to push back from this and saying, you know what, I'm not even married yet, um, that, that may be true. Maybe you've had a marriage and it failed. I don't know. But I will tell you this. You do have a family. Either it's the family that, that you know, the, the mother and father that, that gave birth to you and raised you, or somebody else who stood in the gap, and they, they became a family for you. Everybody has family. So this pertains to all of us. Genesis 2, verse 15 This is after the creation story. This is also before the fall of man that happens in chapter 3. So everything's hunky-dory. Everything's going cool. Um, Up to this point, it kind of, instead of just in chapter 1, it kind of gave you each day a snapshot of what God created on each day. And now he gets into the details of how he created man and woman. And verse 15 is like jumping right into that context. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. So you have the man. This is Adam. He was created first. He's working. That's a good thing. Men, you need to work. Do you want me to keep going on that? Are we good? I'm like, I could preach an hour on this and then go to everything else. Men need to work. We live in in a society where men don't want to work. And we're creating a culture of people who don't work. They don't understand the value of work. If people don't understand the value of work, that will bring such insecurity into your home, into your marriage. Your kids will be insecure. They'll be emotionally unstable. See some other things later about that. But you see, Adam is he's in the garden to work it and take care of it. That's his job. That's his first job. That's what he's supposed to do. It's a good thing to work. And the Lord God commanded the man. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Fast forward just a little bit. Um, They did, and and it turned out really, really bad. We're not going to talk about it in this message, but you can read ahead in Genesis 3. Um, Things go very tragically bad right there. Verse 18 says this, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and over the beasts of the field. So check this out. So Adam's job, his first job, care for the garden, tend the garden. Second job, name the animals. Think how hilarious this is, right? Some, some animals have like obvious names, dog. Like you look at a dog and you're like, it's not that far-fetched of an idea if it's dog. If you were to look at a sloth, you, I mean, you don't have to be very creative to name it sloth if you've ever seen a sloth or know how fast a sloth moves, right? Amen to that? Right? It's true. But yet, think about this. What was Adam thinking when he named the elephant? Like, where did that come from? What about the aardvark? 
right? I mean, an anteater, not too hard to understand. Anteater, what does it eat? Ants. Got it. Hey, don't have to be very creative. But what about the platypus? I'm just saying. I think he was tired on that day, or he was tired at this time, and he was just like, I don't know, platypus. I don't even think he looked at it. He was just like, platypus, and it just walked on by. That's part of Adam's responsibility, was to care for the garden and to name the animals, and that was a good thing. And that work is a good thing. But even out of all the animals that, that, are, that are going by, it says at the end of verse 20, but for Adam no suitable helper was found. So out of every other created thing, there was nothing suitable for Adam's needs. Nothing. Verse 21, so the Lord, for the Lord, or so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, don't gloss over this last verse right here. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united unto his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. That means there was no sin. They didn't even know, at this point, they didn't even know what sin was. They didn't even know that they had the ability to sin. But verse 24 it says something, and we're going to camp out on this just a little bit, and we're going to draw some points from this. Because really, what this does, this sets a structure for all families. This, this sets a structure for all families. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. As I was looking... Uh, I'm just kind of starting looking some things up about this. Yeah, I, I, it was revealed to me that I think some people have a, 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 they're a little bit confused about really what this means about leaving father and mother. And some of your Bibles may say leave and cleave. And, and the, the leave part, it means to, to set yourself apart from them. Many of you in your families, you have so much dysfunction because you have not set your marriage apart from your parents, specifically with you ladies. Specifically. And you have conversations with your mom specifically about your marriage and all that does is breed insecurity in your marriage. And you wonder why there's distance between you and your husband is because you will tell your mother everything. And your husband, at that point, he feels betrayed and he feels like he can't trust you anymore. Happens all the time. And the more that our culture basically supports a marriage that is outside of the bounds of the Bible and they, they teach you know, marriage by convenience, the more this breeds the problem. The leaving and cleaving. The, the leaving part, it's like you have to set yourself apart from them. You have to. You have to create boundaries. I'm not saying you don't love your parents. I believe the highest honor of honoring your father and mother is being a functioning adult without their help. 
I'm not saying without their love and support, but, but I'm not talking financial support. A, a, grown, a, you know, a, a man should be able to, to provide for his family. I'm not, I, and if, if women want to work, that's cool too. But I'm saying man or humans, people it, within a marriage, they should be able to provide for themselves without leaning on everyone else. That's, that's an enabling culture, and that's the thing that's, that really, and I've had conversations with many of you, and that's, that's one of the problems you don't like about our culture is we're enabling people to be lazy and to sin, but it happens in the home first. Creating these boundaries, leaving and cleaving. There should be, if you're, if you're a parent in here and your kids are still in the house, or I guess even if they're outside of the house, there should be a... A respect given to your children and saying, okay, there's going to become a day where I want you to be outside of my house and I want you to be healthy. I want you to have a quality, godly marriage. I want you to have godly offspring, just like we learned last week from Malachi 2. That's what I want. That's what the Lord wants. And parents, that means that there should be a point in time where you step back and you allow your children to be adults. You have to help them be set apart from you. Which means when you have the tendency to call and to hound and to nag, you shouldn't. And that means for the rest of us, we should be moving in the direction where we would be functioning adults. That we would trust God every day. That we would work because work is... Work is a good thing. It's a quality thing. If you want to add emotional stability in your home, do these things. Do these things. We we tend to think the the whole leave part like that's set apart. We got that, okay? That one's not that hard to understand, but the but the cleave part is because a lot of times we think cleaving is kind of like remember those old flypapers. Remember that? You'd like go into to a shop. You know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about, the flypaper. Everybody's like scrunching your nose up. They're, they're gross, right? Um, they still exist. I saw them at Walmart in the clearance aisle this week. Um, I was going to hand it out as a gift to some of you, but I thought maybe you wouldn't receive it as a gift. Um, but we, we tend to think that the cleaving is kind of like the flypaper, like... You're like, you touch it, but you know, like, okay, I've got to be close to my wife. I've got to be close to my husband, but, but I don't want to be too close. And we, we tend to think, okay, we're, we're kind of stuck together, but we, uh, we kind of don't want to be stuck together. But the word there more so means instead of just being flypaper and like you're just kind of stuck to it, it's kind of like, it's kind of like you're repelling and you've got a rope tied off to a tree and you're repelling down the side of a cliff and you're holding on. That each of you would be holding on to one another. That you'd be trusting God together. That you'd be cleaving to one another. That's more what that word means. Instead of just like, well, you know, we're kind of just hanging out. And as long as I'm getting what I want, then we're going to be good. But as soon as I don't get what I want, then things are going to go south in a hurry. It's clinging like it's, like it's, a, a, like it's your life. Because a marriage is supposed to be for life. They will be united, or he will be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Of course, this is talking about physical intimacy in marriage. In marriage. Young people. That's God's design. 
for sex. It's supposed to happen in the context of marriage. And any time, any time that that act is done outside of marriage, you cheapen it. And you rob yourself of many things. And you rob your future spouse also. Some things I want to run down just to kind of help us and just as a guide from this, this text. The, the first takeaway, there's going to be three if you're an outliner, organizer, list maker kind of person. First one is just to make good priorities. Make good priorities. If you, if you want your family to, to, to last the test of time and the test of inside forces and, and the outside forces, you, you need to set yourself up right. You make, need to make the right priority. And let me just give you a rough priority list, shall we? God, your spouse, your children. Here's where it kind of gets fuzzy. It's going to be work. Then extended family and church, so on and so forth, and hobbies and everything else. And if you get this mixed up, it affects everything. You have to make good priorities. Of saying, okay, my marriage is going to be my priority, not running my kids from event to event. Because there's going to be a day where the events stop and your kids, if you, this is what we're supposed to do, raise godly offspring, that means that they would be functioning adults. And when they become functioning adults, you're not going to be running them around to soccer practice anymore. Softball's not going to happen anymore. Dance's not going to happen anymore. Baseball, not happening anymore. Whatever else that, that you're involved in in your family, those aren't going to happen anymore. What do you do then? If you want your marriage to be, a, a pl- or not just your marriage, but your family to be emotionally stable, have a strong base. Put Christ first. Put your spouse second. Put your kids third. You have to. And if you mix the order up, it's devastating. Dan Allender, this guy's written many books, very good books, as a matter of fact. He wrote a book called Intimate Allies, and he said this, The failure to shift from loyalty from parents to spouses is, is a central, or is, is central, and it is, it is the thing that causes almost all marital conflict. When you don't set boundaries, parents... Grandparents, when you don't set those boundaries, when parents don't make priorities, all of a sudden, now the kids think they're in charge. And if you put your kids first, here's what this does. It teaches, it teaches them at the core. It teaches them uh, 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 that they will, in essence, they will become their own God. And then when they get into their own marriage then they bring in the problem to their spouse. Break it down this way. If you make them a priority and you don't put up boundaries, they will feel entitled. They will be self-centered. And they will have an overinflated self-worth. 
they will. And every one of those creates instability whenever they get married. Because then they think their marriage revolves around them. Just me speaking that over, you probably have people in your family, you're like, we have that. Like, yeah, okay, we've got that. There are things that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to put God first. Deuteronomy 6, 5 says this, Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Putting God first. Marriage is holy. Leaving father and mother being set apart. God set them apart as that they would provide and they would be their own family. And He's he set them apart. But God set them apart. He joined them together. Deuteronomy 6.5 Love the Lord God. Love Him. With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And also... It tells us this in the book of Colossians, chapter 2 of Colossians. This will be on the screen. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him. So Christians, just as you've received Jesus, continue to live in Him. Pretty straightforward. Verse 7, rooted and built up in Him, strengthening, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. Spend some time on Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world. Let me break down some basic principles of this world. Wildly apply. Basic principles of the world. Get more stuff, I gain more power. If I get more stuff, I'll gain more power. If I can just have more, then I myself, I'll be more. That's the principles of this world. But let me tell you how this works in marriage also. In marriage, the basic principle of, of worldly marriage is you don't get too close, you sign a prenup, you, you have an easy way out here. Friends with benefits. And now when, when I was at uh, the guys group, this past Friday we're just sitting down at Burger King. We meet at 8 o'clock at Burger King. And it was incredible. We're just kind of talking about some things, and, and this just kind of washed over me this morning. There's actually there's an attempt right now to put some sort of stipulation in marriage to where there's like a two-year span. Like, you can be considered marriage, but then, but then you can be married for two years. But if it doesn't work out or if you don't like it anymore, then you can get out without any repercussions. That's worldly marriage. Worldly marriage is... Don't get too close. Because if I get close, you might hurt me. Satan's plan, divide and conquer. Dividing marriages, dividing families, dividing homes, dividing communities, dividing cities, dividing countries. Sound familiar? Some other things. 
basic principles of worldly child-rearing. Put your children first. Give them everything that they want. Let happiness be their guide. One of the worst things you can do for your children is saying yes to everything. You do more damage when you say yes to everything than what you can even fathom. For you to have a a family that lasts the test of, of time and inside and outside forces, you have to set boundaries within your family. And you have to tell you have to tell your kids no. You get told no all the time. Hasn't hurt you, has it? Second takeaway this morning is just, and this is so straightforward, that the, the tendency of, 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 of uh, the second point is for you just to dismiss it, but we're going to pour into this. The second one is this, provide for their needs. And also some of their wants, but provide for their needs. Of course, there's basic needs that, that need to be met. Water, food, shelter, that's a gimme. We, we got that. But what about their emotional needs? What about the need for just, for just a, a gentle word of love over them? Are those needs being met? What about just displaying the gospel for them? If you would speak the gospel over your kids, teaching them the value of of confession and forgiveness and repentance before a holy God, I think most of your issues in your family would stop. When's the last time you've just spoke the gospel over them? When you've lovingly corrected them? When's the last time? See, those are some of their basic needs. We need those things. We long for those things. When's the last time you preached the gospel to yourself? When's the last time you've done that? That I need to confess my sin. I need to accept forgiveness for my sin. I need to repent of my sin. Some basic needs. Of course, I said telling them no. And yet, we're told in Proverbs 22, 6, it says that in the context of children, it says, train up a child in the way that they should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Do you know of, of the spiritual needs of your child? Do you know, let me ask you this, do you know the spiritual gifts of your child so you can help foster those spiritual gifts? Or do you even pay attention to those things? Are you so busy running from event to event to event that you cannot actually have a Bible study in your home? Maybe you need to make a different priority in your home. That we're to train up our children in the way that that they should go. 
And even when they're old, they will not depart from it. Teach them the way that, that God wants them to go, what they're supposed to do, so they can get God's dream for their life and not, not the world's dream for their life. Instead of, instead of going in and saying, well, you need to go to Georgia Tech and you need to go to University of Georgia and you need to go to Clemson and you need to do this and you need to go to this school. Instead of, instead of saying all of that, why don't you sit back and say, what do you think God wants you to do? Maybe his, his vision, his dream for you is not a college degree. Maybe it's to be a missionary in a foreign field and you're screwing the whole thing up by chasing a worldly thing instead of seeking God first. See, these are some of the needs that children have. But they're often overlooked because we think, we think that, that they have to have everything that we didn't have. And what happens in that situation? We get overwhelmed, we overspend, and we overcommit. We get overwhelmed. We freak out. We overspend to satisfy needs. And then we overcommit. And then when it comes to matters of the gospel, we have no time for Jesus stuff. No, no, no. We've got this event. We've got that event. We, we can't do this. We can't do that. We can't do family XP. We can't do this event. We can't do this. I can't bring my kids to church. We're up all night running around chasing event after event after event. And I have to sit back and say, what are their needs? I mean, at the core, what are their needs? What they need is... is Emotional and spiritual security. That's what they need. They need to know that Jesus is the Lord of your house. And that your marriage was founded upon His truths. And that you acknowledge the fact that He bonded that marriage together. And that as God is faithful, that you will trust. And you will trust, even when it seems like God is, is not there for you, but you trust God and you say, you know what, I know that it's coming. You have to let God be God. And your marriage can't be God. Your kids can't be God. Your mother and father-in-law can't be God. Your mother and father can't be God. Your work can't be God. Sports activities can't be God. Any other activities can't be God. Let God be God. Provide for their needs. Physical needs, the spiritual needs, emotional needs. Dads. When's the last time that you've just put your arm around your child and said, I love you? When's the last time? Has there been a time? Maybe there's that child that you just need to call and sit back and just call him and say, you know what? How are you? I was thinking about you today. And I, I, I don't want anything. I just want to tell you that I love you. Do you understand the value of those words, especially come from, coming from a father unto their children? The emotional stability, knowing, oh, my dad loves me. And he loved me enough to call. He's not preaching to me. He's just saying that he loves me. I have to tell you, I'm somebody who has not heard those words very much all through the almost 40 years of my life. And I long for those words. 
And I remember the last time I heard those words. I remember that I was in my parents' driveway and I was getting ready to leave. And I remember when my dad spoke those words over me. And I remember when he said it and I was just like, I can't believe he just said that. That was the best thing that I've ever heard. And some men specifically hide behind the excuse that their dad didn't say it to them, so now they don't say it to their kids. And it is shamefully wrong. Last one is very straightforward. Consider marriage a sacred union. If you want emotional stability, spiritual stability and security in your home, at the core, understand and consider that marriage is a sacred union that God has put together. That God has put together. And we live in a day and age where that's not talked about anymore. That's considered old-fashioned. But if you want a family that will, that will stand the test of time, the test of the outside forces, we talk about this from time to time, the water cooler conversations, if you want a marriage that, that, that will stand the, and a family that will stand the test of all those outside forces... The woman who just who just wants to who just wants your ear and just just wants to talk and can I call you sometime and then all of a sudden can I call you sometime turns out to, to dinner sometime and then dinner sometime turns into a hotel sometime and you wonder why your family is a wreck. It's because you do not consider your marriage a sacred union, a sacred, set apart union, bonded by God, held to God, together by God, that you're trusting God, that you're preaching the gospel to each other. That there's active confession and repentance and forgiveness that happens. And sometimes it happens every day. Sometimes it happens. It has to happen every day. If you want a, a family that, that will last, keep Jesus as the center. Consider marriage a sacred union. Make good priorities and provide for their needs. And not just the needs that are convenient. Give them boundaries. Give them consequences. Give them the gospel. I've seen so many victories happen, even from people in this room who've, who've done some of these things already. But I also know that there's more who need it. There's, their lives are upside down. Some of you probably feel like, you know what, I'm too far gone. I just want you to know, you're not too far gone. As long as Jesus is on the throne, and He is, and as long as you're taking breath, there's hope. And when Jesus says, come to me, that means go to Him. When Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, that means we need to submit to Jesus. Find the best for our lives. Find our purpose for our lives. Find the purpose for our family. The reason why our marriage is together. And who it is 
that God wants our kids to become. Make good priorities. Provide for their needs. Make marriage the sacred union that it is. And watch your family excel. 